Welcome to Worldview, a foreign affairs podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Chris Dooley. Our focus returns this week to Brazil, which is in the grip of a combined health and political crisis as coronavirus cases spiral out of control and opposition leaders demand the immediate removal from office of President Jair Bolsonaro. This comes after a turbulent week involving sweeping changes to the cabinet and the sudden departure of the heads of the three branches of Brazil's army. More than 60,000 people died from COVID-19 in Brazil in the month of March alone, more than double the previous monthly record. With more on this and the political fallout, Tom Hennigan, our correspondent, joins me now from Sao Paulo. Tom, it's only two weeks since you were last on the podcast when you spoke to my colleague Dave McKechnie, but we, we have much new to talk about today. Just to take the COVID situation first, no matter where we are in the world now, Tom, we're, we're used to hearing about and indeed experiencing surges in cases, second and third waves and so on. But what's happening in Brazil now is really of a different order, isn't it? It is. As you said, um, the country has had its worst month uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. It was more than double the number of deaths from July in 2020, which was the the previous worst month. The rate of um, new cases and deaths is continuing to climb. There's no sign yet of uh, of a plateau across the country. The seven day rolling average of deaths is being, has been breaking records now for over twenty days, and in just in daily death toll numbers, Brazil now leads the world in COVID deaths, um, having surpassed the United States, which had previously been holding on that grim record. So it is a a different order um, of what is being seen before in Brazil and what is happening anywhere else in the world at the moment. Indeed, Tom, and the the US still, of course, has the highest overall total of fatalities, as we know, but the the daily rate in Brazil now is really frightening. Almost 4,000 this week on Wednesday alone. Yes, and about two, three weeks ago, we had infectologists saying that the country was heading for 5,000 deaths a day. And many people at the time said, you know, that that was unimaginable. It couldn't get that bad. And we're rapidly um, reaching towards that total. The problem is, is that there is still no sign of plateauing and complete confusion across the country about how to tackle the problem. We have a complete disconnect between what the national government is is saying the country needs to do and what state and local governments are doing. So there's not only um, a sense of um, great fear that these numbers are are getting uh, very, uh, very high, but also a sense of um, drift at the governmental level in that there's no clear, concerted, combined plan of action for dealing with the situation at the moment. So there's little reason to believe, I think, that uh, the situation is going to improve at any time soon. What impact is all of this having, Tom, on Brazil's health services? How are hospitals coping? Hospitals are under huge pressure. Um, So Brazil has 26 states and the federal district where the capital Brasilia is. 17 of those and um, Brasilia have their uh, intensive care units at above 90% capacity. Um, And that is putting uh, the health system under huge strain. We now have um, thousands of people who are waiting to get into intensive care units that aren't available. Uh, across the country, we're getting more and more reports of people dying because they can't get uh, an intensive care bed. 
the uh, medicines that are required to run these units um, and particularly for tubing um, uh, patients up for oxygen are running out. That's a critical problem. There have been problems with supplying oxygen across the country. Oxygen supplies are running down. So uh, the health system is running very hot at the moment and in several parts of the country it has uh, essentially started to collapse in the in the sense that people who have a right to treatment are not getting it and they're dying as a result. Now this health crisis Tom is is then helping to fuel an extraordinary political crisis. Can you just take a step by step through some of the main developments of the past few days? Well, obviously, the population um, in Brazil, uh, even though a significant segment of it is not, unfortunately, following uh, the protocols on social distancing, there is increasing fear about what's um, happening uh, with the, the pandemic and growing anger at the this administrative governmental drift in dealing with it and um, the piecemeal effort across uh, the country. And so what, what you have is, a, is you have a, a growing dissatisfaction with the government of President Jair Bolsonaro, the far right president, who has consistently said that, you know, there's nothing really th- that he can be doing to confront the pandemic. He is against uh, social isolation measures and social distancing measures. He is a vehement um, opponent of lockdowns being imposed by state governors having even gone to the courts to try and prevent lockdowns being imposed in parts of the country where the pandemic was out of control. And what you have is is growing dissatisfaction with his government, and that is um, creating a political crisis in Brasilia. Um, And to try and counter that, we have seen um, the biggest cabinet reshuffle since uh, he came into office over just over two years ago. Um, and uh, he has increasingly had to rely on a group of right, centre-right, but essentially corrupt parties in the Congress who are preventing uh, the advance of any impeachment uh, process against him, but in return for taking over and colonising huge swathes of the federal government. Uh, but Bolsonaro is a figure who um, hates to be seen to be weak. And so this week, while he did fire um, uh, a number of ministers that were ideologically or personally close to him. How many did you fire, Tom? So there were six um, ministers that were fired. But the surprise that caught everyone um, off guard was he fired his defence minister, a retired general. And the defence minister, he left saying that uh, in a note saying that he had tried to preserve the institutional character of the armed forces. And that was seen as um, a signal that Bolsonaro had been seeking to align the military with his own agenda. And this set off a, a another um, crisis, both within the military, which was very unhappy about, or elements within the military were very unhappy about what happened, and um, within the wider um, political elite, who um, many believe that uh, President Bolsonaro has uh, authoritarian ambitions, um, seeking to undermine uh rival institutions to the presidency um, in an attempt to shore up uh, his declining support. Uh, And the the main upshot of um, the firing of the defence minister 
was that the heads of the three services in the armed forces all let it be known that they were deeply unhappy about what had happened. And then the new defence minister, a another retired general who is closer to Bolsonaro, he came in and he demanded the resignation of the three services chiefs, which is the first time that they've been replaced during a presidential mandate. And it's the first time that all three of them have been changed at one go. And um, for many historians of Brazil's military relations, it has uh, been cons- called the worst crisis since uh, the dictatorship which left office in 1985. And Tom, you've kind of anticipated my next question there because I don't know if, you, if you've seen the new documentary on Netflix about Pele and I, I watched it the other night and the most fascinating aspect of that I thought was how it dealt with the issue of the Brazilian, Brazilian dictatorship of the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s. Anybody who remembers that time or knows about that time will kind of be aware of the political ramifications of political instability and military instability coming together in Brazil. Are are there concerns here for the state of Brazil's democracy or is that reading too much into the current crisis? There are concerns about the state of Brazilian democracy at the moment. Uh, We've had six uh, likely presidential candidates in next year's presidential election all issue a joint statement warning about uh, the sense of direction of the Bolsonaro administration. We've had a Supreme Court justice come out today and also criticise the interference in the military high command. But at the same time, we do have uh, both within um, the the president's uh, block of support and former leading military figures who have come out and said that the armed forces will not get involved in politics, that uh, President Bolsonaro can attempt to interfere with them um, and to try and more closely tie it to his agenda, but he will not succeed because it clashes directly with the doctrine that the military have adopted since that they were uh, running the country for over 20 years, which is to stay out of politics. They understand that it was not a good experience for them at the end of the day running Brazil and that they have a doctrine of not to get involved in politics and that uh, you have senior and very uh, well-connected um former generals who still have very close links with the military high command saying that, you know, this is not a risk. I think the risk is is not that the military will launch a coup or any sort of extra constitutional action in conjunction with President Bolsonaro, but that in his attempt to try something like this, to try and align the military with some sort of extra constitutional um, action, that he could set off a even worse political crisis. I think that's the the major concern at the moment in Brazil. It's worth noting, though, isn't it, that Bolsonaro has in the past expressed admiration for the leaders of the 1964 coup. Bolsonaro is a admirer of not only Brazil's military dictatorship, which ruled the country from 1964 to 85, but of pretty much any military dictatorship in Latin America. He's expressed admiration um, as well for Pinochet. Um, There are, it has to be said, within the military, including a lot of the high command um, generals, and retired generals who still defend the coup in 64 and say that the military stepped in to prevent Brazil becoming a second Cuba um, from slipping into chaos and that 
while it was a an unfortunate period in the country's history, the military played a noble role in setting the country back on the path to democracy. That's their interpretation. There's a lot wrong with it. There's also a lot of silences about the crimes they committed when they were in um, in office. But I think there's a difference between um, Bolsonaro's commemoration of military dictatorships and his activities in wanting um, to increase his own power at the expense of other institutions and the the Brazilian military's um, defence of their role in the 64 coup and determination not to get involved in politics again, not to have to repeat that uh, role that they played in 64. So I think there is a very uh, important divergence there between uh, the military and Bolsonaro. And I think one of the things that's interesting about the 64 coup, which um, is something that um, Bolsonaro does not seem to be paying attention to if he is aware of it, is that the military in 64, one of the main reasons they launched their coup was because the populist president at the time, uh, Joao Goulart, he was politicizing the military. He was allowing the junior officers to organize in unions to pressure the high command. And they were more openly coming out and supporting his government. And the military high command saw that as a political interference in their chain of command. And that was one of the reasons they launched the coup. Um, That is largely um, overlooked now because it's seen as uh, a coup that was launched to prevent communism and whatnot in Brazil. But that was one of the main reasons that um, the army left barracks and occupied the presidential palace for over 20 years. And when you look at what happened in 64 and look at what um, happens now, there are certain similarities of a president, populist, uh, trying to interfere in the military's high command. And just because Bolsonaro was a former soldier himself does not necessarily mean that the army feels uh, he is one of them. He was uh, dismissed uh, from the military for in- insubordination. He never passed the rank of captain and he only got that as a pat on the back as he was, he was sent on his way. And for many in the military, he is a politician and not a soldier, despite the fact he always tries to present himself as a soldier. So I think for Bolsonaro, there is a major risk um, himself in trying to interfere with the military in the way he has done. And to a certain extent, I think he he recognizes that because while he did orchestrate the dismissal of the uh, heads of the three branches of the military, um, there was a lot of talk that he would then appoint generals um, that would be more closely identified with his agenda um, and break the uh, the seniority, which is the tradition for appointing the top um, posts in the, the branches. In fact, he didn't. He respected uh, the... Um, the seniority principle and appointed figures that are not um, hugely identified with them. One of them is in the Air Force, but the key role in the army, that was seen as a more of a continuity figure rather than a Bolsonaro figure who was appointed. So I think Bolsonaro is aware that he can only interfere so much in the military without provoking any sort of tension that could be worse for him in terms of openly aligning the military against him. 
And Tom, just a final question on this this uh, issue of the military and, and, and its involvement in politics and so on. You mentioned the new defence minister, um, General Braga Neto, there a few moments ago, and he made a comment that you might help us to interpret. Os militares não faltaram no passado e não faltarão. He said, as translated anyway, his comment was, the military in the past were not lacking and they will never be lacking when it comes to what the country needs. The Brazilian Navy, the Brazilian Army and the Brazilian Air Force are faithful to their constitutional mission in defending the country, in guaranteeing constitutional powers and democratic freedom. Now, now Democrats, Tom, would have no objection to hearing about the military's uh, faithfulness to the constitution, but the first part of that statement, the military in the past were not lacking and will never be lacking when it comes to what the country needs. What do we make of that comment? That's a that's a very interesting quote you've picked out. I think goes right to the um, harsh the ambiguity about the military's uh, view of its role in Brazilian history. Um, the this the statement that it, it is going to observe its constitutional role. That's as I was saying is that uh, the the current doctrine of the military is to stay out of politics. They see that as for the for the good of their own um, institutional health, but at the same time. Um, the, Brazil's military has always seen itself as the final guarantor of national stability. And even if we go back to the founding of the Republic in 1889, that was as the result of a military coup. So Brazil's military feels a certain sort of ownership of um, the country's republican institutions and sees itself as, as the, the ultimate guardian of them. Um, but I think what Braganeto was saying there was an attempt to try and dampen down some of um, the the cries um, against Bolsonaro of trying to interfere in the military. Um, but at the same time, he always has uh, this um, need as a, as a senior commander, and not just him, but others, even those who have come out quite um, publicly, uh, retired generals quite publicly against Bolsonaro, will still not step away and criticise what the military did in the 1964 coup. And that, that creates a certain ambiguity. At what point should the military therefore be seen as totally constitutional, totally democratic? Or at what point, what um, line in the sand do they feel that, that they um, have to stop at before that they are allowed to re-interfere in politics? Um, and Bragonet, who coming from him, it's uh, even more ambiguous because he is definitely identified as uh, someone who has been loyal to Bolsonaro and of a certain um, type of military mindset that uh, views the president as the commander-in-chief and therefore he is the one who gives orders and it's a good general's uh, job to obey those orders. Uh, up until what point, though, is the question many people are now asking. So what then are the likely next political steps, Tom? Might the opposition seek to have Bolsonaro impeached in light of the most recent events? Um, they absolutely will. There's been a new impeachment request filed uh, yesterday in Congress. I think there's now about 70 on the desk of the um, Speaker of the Lower House. Uh, he is not going to table any. Um, the, the block of centre parties known as the big centre uh, here, they are now um, in the driving seat politically in many regards in Brasilia. And I think one of the things that's interesting about this week's crisis is that the tension with the military and the tremors that set off have kind of distracted attention from the fact that Bolsonaro 
um, is in a very politically weak moment. He has ceded a lot of ground to these centre parties um, in Congress that he was hammering when he was a candidate, saying that he, they were the way of doing old politics, that he would have nothing to do with them as president. And now, um, as they say in Brazil, he's he's handing over the rings of power to them. Um, that most clearly shows itself not only in um, a couple of, of the new ministerial appointments are more closely aligned with the centre bloc um, groups in Congress than with um, Bolsonaro, but more clearly, we see it in the budget. Brazil is designing a new um, budget for the year ahead. And the um, the reality is, is that basically the these centre parties are now presenting their bill for protecting Bolsonaro from impeachment. And um, they are... Uh, taking over a huge chunk of the federal budget for their own discretionary spending, which would be crucial uh, for them in um, showering cash on their base ahead of um, next year's general election. And as long as they are able to get their hands on those funds, I think it is unlikely that Bolsonaro will face an impeachment process um, unless, unless the pandemic spirals completely out of control and the population becomes so terrified, his support implodes. And then we will see these parties, I think, maybe consider removing him. But at the moment, they're threatening Bolsonaro. They're pressuring him. But in many ways, it's not so much a um, effort to warn him that they're going to remove him from power. It's an effort to get more and more control over the over the budget. And um, unfortunately, it's um, just such a deeply cynical um, moment um, uh, in, in, the, in the midst of a national crisis. And while all of this is, is happening, Tom, the, the coronavirus situation does continue to deteriorate in a very frightening way. Now, from the beginning, Bolsonaro has taken a kind of Trumpian approach to the virus. He dismissed, uh, dismissed it as a little flu, refused to follow scientific advice. And I think you mentioned earlier he's, he's continuing to oppose lockdowns and so on. So do, do we take it from that he hasn't changed his tune at all? He, has, he hasn't changed his tune at all. Um, so we've already seen that uh, his own attorney general advised against a, a petition he made to the Supreme Court um, to try and overturn lockdowns imposed in a number of states. And his attorney general said there's no legal basis for doing this. Bolsonaro went ahead and signed it personally and sent it to the court. And the court just said, look, this is um, completely unconstitutional and dismissed it. Uh, he appointed his fourth health minister of the pandemic, a doctor close to his family, but respected cardiologist uh, in the country. And he has come in and sort of um, tried to, without annoying the president, direct the federal government towards advocating th basic things like using a mask in public or trying to maintain social isolation um, at home, social distancing. Um, and even though he's barely a week in the job, we have Bolsonaro hearing what he's saying in public and coming out and contradicting him straight away. And so I think it was just yesterday we had Bolsonaro coming out and saying that staying at home is not going to solve uh, the, the problem here. 
he doesn't have any solutions himself. He's still promoting quack uh, cures like chloroquine and, and um, other treatments that every medical authority in the world says have no impact on treating the disease. He is someone who has abdicated all responsibility and really just now sees the the efforts to contain the pandemic as a attempt to undermine him politically and uh, in in counterparty to use the tension to try and ratchet up um, his own uh, efforts to um, essentially authoritarian. He is he is very keen on trying to extend presidential authority. He keeps uh, hinting at the need for a state of siege at some stage. One of his um, key allies in Congress recently wanted to have uh, the national um, mobilization law, which is uh, intended for times of war, extended so it can be used in the pandemic, which will give superpowers to the presidency um, uh, to, to be able to act more freely in the country. And the question is, is he has never shown any interest in using the powers he does have to tackle the pandemic. So why does he want new powers um, when he's never even tried to use the ones he does have? Uh, so there is a, a, a sense that he really still does not see the pandemic as anything other than a threat to him politically and an opportunity to increase uh, his his own authority. And just a final question, Tom, on, on the regional um, aspect of all of this, because if a country the size of Brazil with this population of 211 million cannot get this virus under control, that has potential consequences in terms of, you know, new variants and so on. It's, it's, it's a threat to all of us. Have other countries in South America, particularly, you know, Brazil's neighbours, have they expressed concern about what's happening there? Yes, they have. And, um, you know, there there's um, real apprehension in the region about what's going on in Brazil. Uh, the spillover has already had an effect. So the, the Brazil variant, when it got into Paraguay, uh, caused a huge spike in cases there. Paraguay had been seen to have handled the pandemic relatively well. Then the new Brazil variant gets in and huge spike and that uh, led to social unrest and an attempt to impeach the president there. So there is potential for Brazil um, to spread uh, the pandemic across the region and with it political instability. Um, I think the key, all the countries in in South America now realise, including uh, the Bolsonaro administration, is vaccines is the way out. And there are countries that are making progress here. Chile is one of the world leaders on vaccination. Uruguay is doing quite well as well. Um, but, uh, you know, really, it's hard to imagine that the pandemic, which has hit Latin America harder than any other region, is going to properly ease until um, we have better vaccinations across the whole continent. And at the moment, um, in general, it, it is failing. It's at the back of the queue. They're having great trouble sourcing uh, vaccines. Um, so, you know, it's not just Brazil that is lagging on the on the vaccine question. Argentina as well. You have a completely different approach by the government there. They're also failing on vaccines. So uh, there there is concern about Brazil, but there's seems to be little apart from shutting the borders that anyone has um, come up with a, a, a way of getting out of this apart from vaccines. OK, well, Tom, in Sao Paulo, thank you. Well, that's all for this week. For more on this and other stories, go to irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.